family. Welcome to Motherhood in Black and White. I'm Kanji. I'm Tara. This week, we're going to be talking about cross-racial friendships, or what some people call interracial friendships, Mm -hmm. like ours, Tara, right? That's right. So you are basically a unicorn. And I say, <laughs> you are, and accept it, shine a light on. I mean, I'm super special. <laughs> you you have that one horn, and it is golden, just like your smile and your personality. But you, as a white woman, are a unicorn. Because three out of every four white Americans say that they don't have a single non-white friend in their social network. Three out of four. Three out of four, 75% of white Americans do not have a non-white friend. And this survey that was conducted by Robert P. Jones of the Public Religion Institute, in that survey, they identified a friend as someone with whom the participant had discussed important matters in the last six months. And, you know, you and I discuss important matters daily, weekly. (laughs) Check our text feed. (laughs) So so clearly we are friends. So you are not a part of this 75%. Wow. But but you are a unicorn. And we question why that is. And we're recording this episode on Martin Luther King Day, 2021. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that Martin Luther King advocated for was not only equality, but about an understanding of cross races. So let's take a couple of minutes today to kind of talk about our backgrounds, why having interracial friendships and relationships in a non-romantic way is so important for us as moms so that we can model that for our kids. Now, how is it that you became a unicorn? (laughs) Unicorns aren't just, you know, out of the sky. sky. Yeah. Well, maybe they are. Unicorns kind of like are just in the sky. (laughs) I know what you mean, though. The difference. The difference. (laughs) It's it's an interesting question. I don't know that I can take credit for anything specific I did. You and I have talked about um, starting in like fourth grade, I lived in areas uh, that were very multicultural. And I went to schools where I was uh, in the minority. So those are formative years from 10 to all the way through adulthood. And I didn't do anything specific. It was just a function of living and growing up in a space where uh, people didn't look like me. So I think that's probably a big part of it is just a function of growing up that way and and forming those kind of friendships early. I'm curious to know how that felt for you to be um, a white person who was not necessarily always in the majority. Yeah. The first time I found myself in a school where I wasn't in the majority It was tough, like early, but, you know, I found friends and it didn't take very long for it to feel pretty normal. You know, I, um, maybe fourth and fifth grade, the first couple of years it was happening, it was a little bit more difficult just wanting to have friends and fit in and, and feel like I belonged and not always feeling that way. But I made friends and eventually by middle school, it felt completely normal. Thank you for sharing um, how you felt with me and for and for sharing that with our family. 
yeah. hearing that from you, it's a really interesting thing to hear from a white person to say that they feel <laughs> uncomfortable <laughs> in a place, in a situation mm-hmm. where you're talking about race and racism in America, because for the most part, a lot of white Americans are never in a position where they are the minorities. And when we right. look and try to share with our kids about how to interact and how to um, interact with people, I think that you do such a good job. And please correct me if I'm wrong. But I think you do such a good job because you did have that level of understanding from a very early age mm-hmm. of what it was like to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it is an adult who maybe didn't grow up that way. There is a comfort zone that we get into. And I think as people get older, they're less and less likely to stretch outside that comfort zone. There is um, a statistic that says by the year 2040, white Americans are going to be the minority in this Mm. country. I love talking to you and hearing about your experience, because, again, as someone who is a person of color, a woman of color, in the United States, it's not something I've ever experienced. So I'm always curious to be like, what, <laughs> what would it look or feel like if I were a white person? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I don't necessarily think that level of curiosity is reciprocated um, by white people when they're looking and thinking about the experiences of people of color, because it's a point where we say and we hear often, I can't even imagine mm-hmm. what it must feel like to be a person of color in this country. And when I hear your story about what it was like for you in the fourth grade, a part of me smiles, a part of me giggles, because (laughs) I'm like, yeah, she has a level of empathy there. She kind of gets it. I talk a lot about your terrible choice in pop culture and movies. (laughs) One of my terrible guilty pleasures from the 1980s was a horrible movie called Soul Man. Mom, Dad, I'm black. (gasps) From the producer of Risky Business, Soul Man. He didn't give up. He got down. With C. Oh, Thomas Howell? Yes. Did you see it? Oh, yes. Yeah. Of course you, of course you <laughs> did. It has not We're, aged well. <laughs> it's like a terrible 80s movie. I know Tara saw it. But it's oh, C. Yeah. Thomas Howell and Ray Don Chong, who was the daughter of comedian Tommy Chong. That's right. Yeah. Um, and she was biracial, but she appears facially black. And mm-hmm. in that movie... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give away spoilers because the movie's 38 years old. If you haven't seen old. it yet, just suck it up. If you haven't seen it, you, you aren't going to see it. But in the movie, C. Thomas Howell plays a white guy who is applying to law school, Harvard Law School. He doesn't get in. Mm. So what he does is he takes these magic pills to turn his skin brown so he can apply as an African-American student. And he goes to Harvard Law School on a scholarship as a black student. Mm-hmm. And so when he gets to law school... He has all these experiences, quote unquote, he experiences things like a black person would. And his law professor at the time is James Earl Jones, who so underrated, like one of the best actors of all time. Just had a birthday yesterday. Did he? Mm -hmm. So James Earl Jones had the same birthday as Michelle Obama. Mm -hmm. I think Aaliyah's birthday was yesterday, too. Was it? I think so. Or this weekend. Yeah, she would have been, I think, 41 had she. Oh, I know. Anyway, sidetrack. Sorry. (laughs) That's okay. I know. So James Earl Jones was in Soul Man. James Earl Jones was in Soul Man. He played the law school professor. And after C. Thomas Howell's character is revealed to really be a white guy. And, you know, of course, he falls in love with Ray Don Chong. And um, there's a moment after they break up and, and he's getting back together with her and James Earl Jones has a conversation with his character 
And he says, well, you know what? Now you know what it was like to be a black man in America. Mm -hmm. And C. Thomas Howell said a line that I will never, ever forget. He said, no, I don't. Because if at any point in time I didn't like it, I could always get out. I could always get out. You've learned a great deal more than I thought. Yeah. And, and that's why the arbitrary determination of, of, of race is so horrific. Because it mm. is, you could change the color of your eyes. You could change the color of your hair. In 2021, you can change your gender if you don't like it. But right. because of the artificial social construct of race, it is something that you cannot change biologically. We looked at some people in 2020 who were getting um, kind of getting savagely slayed in, in social media because they were white people that, and they were out in themselves because they've been living as black people their whole lives. Right. Right. And some people I spoke to said, what's the big deal? You know, they just identify with being black. And I said, I think for me, it was disappointing because it's like I'm choosing to feel like a black person. But if I don't like the way that it feels, I can always say I'm, I can always opt out. You know, I can right. always say I'm not a part of this. I'm not I'm not going to be here for this. But it's also a way of understanding what um, people of color go through and what they feel like and what what they're what they're going through in this country, which is what we need to do more of. Yeah. As a teenager in the 90s, let me age myself real quick. Um, there's always jokes made about me because I was so comfortable in multicultural situations. And, um, but I always tried not to, you know, take it on. I, I am white. I am comfortable outside that comfort zone. Um, but I would never want to try to inherit or make it seem like I could ever fully understand that experience. I definitely have empathy and I speak out about it, but I, I've always made it very clear just because I like hip hop music doesn't mean that I'm in the mix there. No, I think that when we talk about cross-racial friendships and cross-cultural relationships, mm -hmm. a part of it is being able to empathize and understand what your friends are going through. Yes. And that's one of the barriers to having these interracial relationships and friendships. And back in the 90s, when you were just talking about growing up in high school, in 1997, there was a book that came out called Why Are All of the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria by Beverly Daniel Tatum. And she did a deep dive into this phenomenon in our country, which is the self-segregation that occurs with kids, mostly adolescents, and continues with adults. Because something happens. None of us are born seeing color. All of our kids right. grow up. They love each other in preschool. They, they get along. But sometimes in somewhere around middle school, there starts to be a self-segregation that happens. And it continues in colleges. And then it continues yeah. even more so in adulthood. And we started the show by sharing the statistic that three out of four white Americans don't have a single non-white friend. But there's another statistic that's equally alarming, and that's that 89% of white Americans said that most of their close friends are white. And so even when you have interaction amongst and between racial groups, it's limited. Like, right. you know, and we want our kids and we teach our kids to embrace everyone to have a diverse set of groups and a, a diverse set of friendships and, and have friends that 
they don't see color. You know, we talk about colorblindness, but that's another story for another day. (laughs) Um, You know, and the myth of colorblindness. Mm -hmm. But what we have to realize is that our kids see what we do and what we model. And if we were, if we are modeling homogenous relationships and friendships, that's what they are going to see and notice and pick up on more than anything that we say. Right. And so it doesn't really matter that our kids have relationships with other people of color and across cultures and across ethnicities. What matters and what's going to inform their ideologies as they grow up is the interactions that they see us as their parents having. Right. Um, Exactly right. I will tell a story a few years ago. Some friends of ours who were white they adopted a toddler who was also white. And this toddler had been raised in a home where one of his caregivers, and I can't remember if it was a foster grandfather or foster grandmother, but one of the caregivers was um, was a black woman. Mm-hmm. And so the first time we met this little toddler kid, he immediately came over to me <laughs> because they didn't have any other black friends. But when he came to me, he literally saw something this kid had never seen before and just attached himself to me so he was the younger brother of one of roman's really good friends and they all went to the same daycare center and when i would go to the daycare center to pick roman up this little baby would see (laughs) me walking in the halls and would scream and holler and want to be around me and be near me Mm -hmm. and even to this day six years later he and i have a great relationship and friendship but there was always a level of comfort You know, he never saw a black person as an other. He saw that as I'm Aunt Kanji. Mm -hmm. And there's something so powerful and lovely when our kids just see cross-racial and cross-cultural friendships and interracial relationships and interracial and intergenerational friendships as normal. And so when they see that, that's what they start to model. But so few of our kids actually see that. And that's on both sides, on on the white side and also on the black side. Yeah. And I was thinking about that with you because, you know, just where you live and I know you went to school. So you have a lot of multicultural relationships outside of just me. You know, you have several white um, people in your close circle and, uh, I, that kind of makes you a unicorn too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and again, we're going to say that this is not just about a, a white issue because we look at some of the um, self-segregation or preservation with black Americans. Mm-hmm. And I think from the same study, the study showed that 76% of black Americans don't um, identify people of Excuse me, they, they don't notice or say that they have close friendships of people outside of, of their race or ethnicity. Right. And so the self-segregation or the preservation, it is across all racial lines. And the studies that we've looked at and the studies that have come out from the Public Religious Institute and most recently in 2019, a book, The Company We Keep by Yale sociologist Grace Cow. These studies not only look at black relationships and white relationships, they also look at the largest um, emergent group of people of color in the United States, which is the Latinx community, but Mm -hmm. also the emerging group of Asian Americans. And so they look at all four of these groups and they look at the cross racial dynamics in each of them. And all of them are terrible, (laughs) you know, among (laughs) every group. 
people tend to self-segregate and isolate. But the worst dynamics are between the relationships between black and white Americans. And, um, you know, even though this country is getting more diverse, relationships remain largely homogenous. And while uh, approval for interracial relationships and marriages has increased, they're relatively rare still, um, especially for, for whites and blacks. Which is why I proudly, you know, will will, will be a unicorn, have my horn just sticking yeah. up. And it's so strange to have this conversation and hear those statistics because in my life, it doesn't look like that. Yeah. So I guess it still just blows my mind. I'm like, I know so many cross-cultural relationships. My friendships are multicultural we have families in our circle of all kinds. And um, so it, those statistics just are bananas to me. Yeah, I shared the statistics with some of my girlfriends in the Bay Area this weekend, and and they're white. And they say it's hard for them to see, but you also look at the bubble, right? Um, you look at who you're around, and you look at the intentionality of, of where we're raised, and you say, of white Americans say that they don't have a non-white friend. We look at areas and populations where there still are mostly white populations. But also we look at um, the intentionality that people take when they choose to stay in their own homogenous bubble, right? Yeah, Um, where they feel comfortable. Where they feel comfortable, yeah. And we we say like, well, what are some of the barriers to having diverse and cross-racial friendships? What is it that prevents more people from getting together? The first is that a lot of people don't see it. You know, I have another friend here in the North Texas area and she, and we had a conversation about why she only has white friends. And she said, well, this community, it's largely white. And a couple of days later, I emailed her and I said, it's not, you know, um, you're, actually. actually, your subdivision is 30% East Asian, 10% Hispanic, and 10% black. But the fact that you think that everyone in the subdivision white. is white, yeah, you know, and it's like, I said, you don't have a single non-white friend. And she said, well, I'm not around people of color. And I'm like, yes, you are. Actually. <laughs> Yes. So isn't that interesting? You, you know, and, and, and in my in my coaching and consulting on diversity and inclusion, one of the phrases that I find myself repeating a lot is that people don't see the world the way it is. People see the world the way they are, mm-hmm. which is why a lot of times people tend to, to discount the experiences of others mm-hmm. because they're like, well, I can th- clutching my pearls. That has never happened. That would never happen in this country. That would never happen to my child. You know, you must have heard them wrong or you must have yeah. misunderstood it because that would never happen because from your frame of reference or from our ideology and the way we were raised, it wouldn't happen that way, which is why right. it's so important for me to surround myself with diverse viewpoints and a diverse circle of friends mm-hmm. because I can see and understand how things impact and affect other people. And hopefully when I'm sharing that information with Roman and with other kids, he can see and do the same thing. But one of my big challenges is still, you know, surrounding myself with that group of people and also that he continued to do the same in his life. And that's what I'm looking for as we as we um, proceed in this year and in his development in his adolescence. Yeah. And just thinking about your friends who didn't maybe didn't even realize that she was just seeing things as she 
is as opposed to as they really are. I mean, I think something you and I have talked about, you know, in your coaching and in our nonprofit is that these conversations aren't meant to be an accusation. It's human nature. We all have these unconscious biases. And, you know, these conversations are meant for everyone to take a step back, open it up a little wider. You know, there's no need to feel shame and shut down. It's just a good opportunity to take a look at where your comfort zone lives and find ways to stretch here and there. Which is hard in friendships. We purposefully have friends and friendships that make us feel comfortable, make us feel good. <laughs> right. yeah? And so having conversations with someone about um, tensions <laughs> and about issues that are uncomfortable mm-hmm. may seem like it's the opposite of friendship. It's like, mm, yeah, why? you know, I just want to sit here and, and talk about the shows that we watch together and, <laughs> you know, and how great life is. But if you're going to have a friendship, a real authentic friendship with someone who is extremely different, who's someone mm-hmm. whose experience is extremely different from yours, there has to be a willingness to contribute to that conversation in a meaningful way, which is going to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. There are going to be moments if you have an interracial or intercultural or cross-racial or cross-cultural friendship, because of the way this country is, where there's going to be an uncomfortable conversation about um, treatment of people of color. Mm -hmm. And the person that you are choosing to open up your heart and your life with may have an experience um, that will that may make you feel a certain kind of way. Right. Right. right? Um, And so if you're going to have that friendship, you have to be willing to go there. And it has to be something that you can do from a place of love and judgment free. And yeah, and it's not just um, about romantic relationships. A lot of light people talk about like, oh, interracial relationships, interracial marriages. I think that the conversation that a lot of moms need to have is about interracial and cross-racial friendships because that's where a lot of the support that we need from other mothers comes from and that's where it's lacking in a lot of ways yeah and it's easy to participate in groups participate at school and continue to sort of self-segregate most likely not even on purpose but you see a person The first thing you notice that you obviously share is that you look similar. So then you go talk to them. And I think because of how I grew up, and I do have just sort of an innate curiosity about people in general, regardless of how they look. And I've also had experiences in recovery where you're in groups where most of the people don't look like you, but you are forced to have very vulnerable conversations and you realize that there are so many people out there who don't look like you don't share the same background, but we all are having very similar emotional experiences. We all share a spectrum of vulnerability and pain and fear. And if you can get to that with people, it really does open up your circle. Before we started talking on the microphone and recording today, you and I had a a planning session and we, we started talking about how 
the inauguration this week, it's bringing, um, it, it's shining a light on the cross-racial issue. And it's bringing the, the racial pandemic that we have been suffering through for the last year mm-hmm. um, to, you know, to the, uh, to the forefront of conversations again. And earlier in our podcast, I mentioned the book um, that was written in 1997 about why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria and those conversations and the fact that we continue to have those conversations (laughs) almost a quarter of a century later, Uh you know, it's heartbreaking to me. But what's interesting is back then in 1997, we had a country which we were, you know, there was an economic boom. Um, Mm -hmm. It felt like there was a lot of coming together. I say there was a whole bunch of kumbaya moments Mm -hmm. in 2000, in the early 2000s after 9-11, we had a common enemy of Al Qaeda Mm -hmm. and we had a lot of attention that was turned outward. Now, you and I sh- also shared some information about, you know, there was also the, the racism in, against Muslim Americans that came right. to light. But in terms of the relationships with blacks and whites and the Latinx and Asian American communities, you didn't really hear a lot about it. And then we had the um, election of President Obama. Mm-hmm. And it really felt like we had turned a corner. Mm-hmm. And I've shared with this audience before, you know, Roman was born the day before Obama's first inauguration. And I remember watching that inauguration in the hospital with my biracial son saying and thinking to myself, he will never experience a world where he knows racism. Like we felt that there was this coming about of a post-racial world. We right. really felt and it felt like we had turned a corner. And it just felt like we did a complete 180 in 2016. And it just seems like for the last four years, we've had a renewed light on um, disparate treatment of people of color. And we've had this racial reckoning that has been at the forefront of a lot of our lives. And raising a black son into adolescence during these last couple of years has been terrifying. Right. Um, And I don't think... I I even gave any thought to what it would be because it wasn't something that I thought we I would have to deal with. I thought we were past that, you know. I, yeah, I think a lot of people thought we were past that. Um, the last few years has definitely shown that. I mean, I wouldn't give it back. It's it was an incredible step. You know, we had a black man as a president for several years, and I think that meant something and we're still further along but if anything we've learned in the last couple of years is that there's just still a lot of work to do there's a lot of uh unity to be found and 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 more to be done we can have that unity with each other but it takes vulnerability and it takes a conversation and it takes friendships you know it takes yeah. the willingness of all of us to be able to stand in our truth, which our truth is we are a society that is deeply divided, Mm -hmm. that is deeply divided racially. And we Mm -hmm. look and see that this is not the world that we want our kids to live in, Mm -hmm. but just saying it's not going to make it happen. Right. (laughs) We we can say like, Oh, this is, I want the world to be a better place or I want us to be color conscious, but just saying that does not make it true. So one of the things that I always say 
is that I would like to, in my little sphere, in the things that I can control is I can control the people around me, right? I can mm-hmm. control my circle. And mm-hmm. what I do is I intentionally expand that circle to include a lot of people. And there are people out there that want to do the same, but just don't know how. And so right. for women and for mothers who kind of look at their circle and they want their circles to include, you know, Kanji and Tara, but we, there's just two of us. We can't go right home. <laughs> but two, <laughs> Tara's like, ah, you can reach out We're to me. We're the best ones. <laughs> we really are, though. <laughs> Truly. But people that really want to, things that contribute to cross-racial friendships are things that you identified. The first is... Um, having a diverse community, like you said, your diverse school, mm-hmm. um, growing up and for me, similar, but of course, the reverse, I was always um, the, the minority, I was always one of a few people of color at the largely white, predominantly white schools, I always attended. Yeah, but having that diversity, and not just in the classroom, it needs to extend on the home front. Right. So what I always ask people to do, if your friends, people who reach out to me, like, well, how do I cultivate friendships with people that don't look like me? Mm-hmm. And I say, well, if your kid has friends that, that are of a different ethnicity or different culture or different faith, don't only encourage the friendship amongst your friend and his friends group, but try to cultivate a relationship with the parents. Mm-hmm. Um and some people are like, well, I don't know what to do. And I said, listen, we do it all the time. <laughs> How many times have you liked a person and you take your husband on a little couple date? Like you're going to get along with her That's husband because right. I love We're going to be a double. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, and it's like for a lot of my life, I look and I was like, wow, most of my friends now that we live in an area that I didn't live in before I had a kid, you know, they're, I'm, those friendships are because of Roman, you know. Right. Yeah. And so if your friends are going to be because of your kids, cultivate that diverse friendship with your kids and his ki- his or her group, but also with your group. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be uncomfortable and it looks a little weird sometimes, but you, we all are intentional in the relationships we want our kids to have and the activities that yeah. they're in. So do that with ourselves. I mean, have you ever forced um, Jason to be friends with somebody he didn't want to be friends 100%. with? One hundred percent. Yes. And I won't, of course, no names, but there are some where, you know, they're not best buds, but they can hang out for a couple of hours when we all have dinner. <laughs> and it's like, well, what are we doing today? It's like, we're hanging out with this couple. That's like, right. But yes. We are. That's right. I'm the social director here. Get in the car. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's hard right now, obviously. We're not all hanging out with people we don't know very well just due to pandemic. Mm -hmm. But it's still possible. And it doesn't just have to be with the kids either. I mean, look for book clubs. Look for mom groups that are just doing happy hours and hanging out and, you know, spread your wings a little bit. It's, it's out there. Yeah. But um, we make our friends and we, we establish relationships with people that we have a proximity to. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's people that we're going to the different fitness centers with or mm-hmm. different book clubs. And so if you look around you and the fitness center you're going to is largely homogenous, mm-hmm. maybe start to question why that is. And for some people, you live in situations, you live in areas where, you know, it's 95% homogenous. But for a lot of the United States, it's not. It's not. Um, Like where we are, I have 
have lots of friends. And when we started having these conversations several months ago, someone's like, you know, I, I look at other people's social media pages and I was like, well, how is it that every person in your close circle looks like you? Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't, if I wanted to, have a picture of me with 20 black women in their 40s. Like, Not it just. Suburbs of Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> or even before that, when I, growing up in the Bay Area or yeah. living in New York. Like, yeah. I've just never had a situation where everybody I'm friends with looks like me. Yeah. You know, um, like my birthday picture from last year at a house party. No, it was two years ago because last year we were still in COVID. But two years ago. We had a, a birthday house party. My friends were 25 to 55 years old, um, married, single, divorced, kids, mm-hmm. no kids. Um, I don't know if there were any lesbians there or not, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> but it, you, know, you mixed it up. Mi- I mix, get it it. Up, mix it up. Just sprinkle everybody in and yeah. sit down and have conversations. And that's what we don't do enough of. We don't sit down and have conversations with people that don't look like us, that yeah. we don't think we have anything in common with. Right. Yeah. Because when you do that and you start to peel back the layers and you really start to get to know people, that's when you realize, yeah, I don't look like you. I didn't come from where you came from, mm-hmm. but my struggle or my situation is similar and I'm going to love you anyway or love you because of it. Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, at the end of the day, what you say is how do you cultivate these cross-racial friendships and start spending time with people and 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 being authentic and mm-hmm. being really real. Like you can't have a surface level friendship with someone of a different uh, race or ethnicity, which a lot of people do, yeah. um, but really expect it to. You don't want it to be performative. Exactly. You, you use those big words. You're just always using big words. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely true. Absolutely true. So if people are are looking at how they can increase their, um, their circle to include Mm -hmm. everyone, it's just start to spend time with people that look like everyone else that 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 look like the diverse world that we are and we represent. And at the end of the day, I've said this like nine times today. At the end of the day, <laughs> just twice, just twice. <laughs> okay. But but who's counting? Obviously, right. Tara. <laughs> Only because we both have tried not to say that. <laughs> Listen, I have about thirteen vocabulary words. And remember, here for it. Remember that episode we did with uh, my friend Tia, and she was talking about how she was increasing her kids' vocabulary. Oh yes, yes. that's right. <laughs> if you have not heard that one, podcast family, definitely go back and listen to that because that is one of our favorite episodes mm-hmm. it's called it's a goat rodeo yeah <laughs> and you can find all of our episodes you can find all of our episodes on all listening platforms you can find us on apple google uh, spotify make sure that you're subscribing so you don't miss a new episode and always please rate and review us we love to hear from you we love to hear how you're enjoying the show Thanks. Yeah. See, and if you do that, that's going to show you how you're really our friend. That's <laughs> and that's right. going to mean everything. But, 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 you know, ultimately we say, well, why is it that it's so important to have cross-racial friendships? Why is it so important that, that I, I expand my circle to include people of, of different faiths and cultures and ethnicities? And the reason why is our kids' lives are going to be so much richer for it. You know, I can't imagine my life without you in a tear, you know? Mm. And, and, and it's the point where... I know that my son is comfortable being around anybody because yep. he it's normal. You know, it just it's not a point where anyone is seen as an other 
or is seen as ostracized or is seen as an outsider. And it's not a life of us versus them because right. he really sees it as we and an inclusive world and culture. Um, and that just makes me me happy. It makes me happy. Yeah, I I will say that I am eternally grateful that I was given so many opportunities to participate in groups, participate in school, live in areas where I got to learn so much about other cultures. I think as an adult, it's only made me better. I, I feel comfortable in so many situations. I have a really large comfort zone and it's only benefited me and brought amazing people into my life like you kanji that i wouldn't have known otherwise and i try to model that for gage pretty regularly i I think we're doing a pretty good job you know he sees that i consume media and books and music that's outside of um you know my culture and into others he sees me with my friendships he knows uh my people and he has a wide variety of friendships and it's it's not even a I didn't even have to say it to him he just read what I was doing and he's picked that up successful friendships are rooted in love and we are looking to build a better world for our kids and a world that's rooted in love. So let's make those worlds about um, inclusion and about equity and equality. Uh, the, the title of this episode is, is what about your friends? And I think that when you have that love, your friends become your family and that's important. And that's what we're going to remember. And hopefully, you know, Tara, that you are a member of my family now. Can I hold five dollars? <laughs> Girl, anything for you. Come on now. Wait, it's out there in the media. Uh-oh. <laughs> Go ahead. Venmo me, five, Venmo me my $5. I got no, you. So What About Your Friends was one of my favorite songs by TLC. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember TLC? Oh, yes. Of course you TLC do. is still one of my top girl groups of all time. T-Boss. Left eye. Left eye. Chili. chili. <laughs> Almost 30 years old, that is. What's your favorite um, TLC song? Oh, man, I like all of them. Um, Okay, I would say no scrubs. However, when I was in high school, What About Your Friends was kind of our jam. But no scrubs way back. No scrubs. (laughs) Yes, I love no scrubs. And what about your friends? But I have to tell you, my favorite is the very first song, Ain't Too Proud to Beg. Oh, my you got to go back to the original I choreographed a dance to that song. So there's that. Is it still on video? Can we see it? (laughs) Oh, no. This was back before you could video anything you wanted. (laughs) In high school, the other song I was thinking of, we were on this trip and we listened to Kick Your Game, I don't know, 200 times. And whenever that comes on now, I go right back to that trip. That song is like Mm -hmm. in my brain. (laughs) Back in 1992, my freshman year in college, I don't know if you know this, but I was in a girl singing group and we opened up for KRS-One from Boogie Down Productions. Yes. Stop it. And we sang, no, I'm going to tell you something. I know people, what? So we sang a cover. We did Ain't Too Proud to Beg on that show at Healy Hall in 1992. 
Um, Who has the video of that? I don't know. But any of my friends from Georgetown, if you have that video I of us it. singing Ain't Too Proud to Beg, please do. Um, shout out to you. It was me, Lauren, Patrice, and Amy. That's our girls group back then. Oh, gosh. I'm yeah. going to need that video. You open for KRS. What? I'm going to tell you about that later. Yeah. <laughs> so that was it. So TLC, great girls group. Mm-hmm. What, what about your friends? Well, friends. Another great TV show. I think yes. we, we may even agree on this one, Tara. Yes. And as we wrap up this week's episode, let's just end with this. Who is your favorite friend's character? Oh, that's Chandler. Really? Yeah. Chandler Bing? <laughs> Chandler Bing. I don't I I just always loved his jokes and sarcasm. That was kind of my jam. Yeah, I get that. I what get about that. you? Mine was probably Joey. Clearly, I married a Joey. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Joey's pretty funny. As I've watched it in my older years, he was definitely underrated. I wonder what that show would have been like had they had cross-racial friendships. Would have yeah. been totally different. But let's take this conversation offline. Yeah, this so is an interesting this, episode to talk about friends. <laughs> yeah, so podcast family, this is such an exciting time for us because we just launched a Patreon campaign. And what we can do, Tara, is go offline, go yes. behind the scenes and continue this conversation about what friends the show would have been like had they let black people on that <laughs> show and do like cross-racial cross-cultural friendships and some of the episodes that we yeah. loved from friends how it would have been different let's let's talk about that on our patreon page uh yes let's get into that that's a whole separate conversation yeah and we have a lot more content that we're putting on that page so if you want to follow us offline and to further support keeping this show ad free please follow us on patreon and follow us on all of our social media channels because we can be friends. We are friends. So friends, family, thanks for joining us for another conversation. Guard your health, mental, physical, and spiritual. We'll see you back next week. Same time, same place. Take good care. <laughs>